This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Maybe Nick Saban was talking about NATOs. Maybe he was talking about me. You know, maybe he was talking about my waitress on the other day. Maybe he's talking about the Pope. Who knows who Nick Saban You know, there is a theory out there that Nick Saban is just focused on his football team. Albeit a very, very over-in-the-corner abstract theory, we will talk about that tonight. Yeah, it's Tuesday, and we're doing a live show anyway. It is Tuesday, March 21st, the year of our Lord, 2023. First day of spring, according to our sources here. We're jam-packed. We are high atop a jubilant downtown Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah, Nick Saban opened spring ball. Not that anyone's paying attention because Bama's a basketball school, but they opened spring ball in Tuscaloosa yesterday. Nick Saban had a press conference. People predictably freaked out. Was there cause? We will discuss to lead the show. I've got some coaches, by the way, that are under immense pressure. He's not one of them, but a bunch of coaches are under pressure and they're feeling it in 2023. See, the conversation we have on this show tonight is not going to be about how, oh, don't worry, you got four or five years to get things figured out. No, you got like four or five months to get things figured out and then it's go time. I got some Penn State in the show tonight. I've got some Ohio State in the show tonight. I've got a ton of true freshmen that I need to talk to you about. Not everyone who had five stars next to their name is going to contribute immediately, but several of them are, and I don't want you to be surprised in December. They're watching us in, uh, frankly, a lot of places I've never heard of until tonight. Mays Landing, New Jersey, for example. Thank you, guys. I'd never heard of the town. Flushing, Michigan. Belmont, North Carolina. We're going to try this one. Jeju Island. Perhaps Jeju Island. It's in South Korea. And Sepulpa, Oklahoma, is tuned in. Thank you. I was in my office doing what I do, just grinding away before the show earlier, and all of a sudden I hear one of our staff members, who shall remain nameless, but it's Jesse, exclaim, oh, another hundred people? And you want to know what he was yelling that in reference to? He opened up the latekicksurvey at gmail.com email that I have asked you guys voluntarily to hit up if you want to fill out a uh, survey, a little feedback that we're trying to get from you. Um, Jesse apparently is a little turned off by the volume of applicants that we've had that have requested to take the survey. It's free both ways. We're not paying you, but you also don't have to pay. So um, the payment is make Jesse a little more mad on this Tuesday evening and do us a favor because it's like five minutes max. He made the survey. So uh, we're getting some really good feedback, though. We have had the gender breakdown, a whole bunch of males, some females, And one person identified as, what was it, Jesse? An attack helicopter. So, whomstever you are, howmstever you identify, we sincerely appreciate it. All right, let's dive into the show tonight. I have some things that I, 
I never know what we're going to end up talking about. This time a week ago, I could never have predicted that we were going to lead tonight's show with this. I didn't even know we were going to have a Tuesday show a week ago. But here we are. Not a paper pop, but a paper stack. Brain teaser for you to lead off the show tonight. What happens when a university has recently been in the news in basketball for the wrong reasons, and then you add in a football coach, very iconic in nature, having a garden variety press conference where he says something he has said repeatedly over the last decade and a half. Answer, everyone freaks out. They lose their minds. What am I talking about here? Well, I think most of you are familiar with what's happened around the Alabama basketball program lately, and not just the run deep into March Madness, but you had all of the -the off-the-court issues, which we're not here to talk about because everyone already has an opinion on that. And you may or may not have been aware that Alabama's still going to play football this year, too. So Nick Saban has his normal beginning of spring press conference yesterday. And I'm about to have Colin play something for you. And it's going to sound normal until you realize, uh uh-oh, some people framed this against the backdrop of what's been going on. And it was just a recipe for internet disaster. Roll it, Colin. Uh, Tony Mitchell has been suspended from the team on all team activities until we gather more information about the situation and what his legal circumstance is. And, um, you know, I mean, guys, everybody's got an opportunity to make choices and decisions. There's no such thing in being at the wrong place at the wrong time. You got to be responsible for who you're with, who you're around and what you do, who you associate yourself with and, uh, the situations that you put yourself in. So, um, it is what it is, but uh, there is, you know, cause and effect when you make, you know, choices and decisions. Yeah, a little backstory there. Tony Mitchell got popped for uh, apparently eluding police at 141 miles an hour down in Florida while in possession of copious amounts of marijuana. So he's in trouble. That's the true freshman that Saban's talking about. But according to several internet sources, Nick Saban was also talking about Nate Oates. He's talking about the basketball coach. That's a shot across the bow at his own athletic department. We have been accused of things on this show before. Jesse, I don't know if you've been made aware of this. Colin, I think I have shielded you guys from this. But you know, on various corners of the internet, this very show, Late Kick, has been accused of trafficking in clickbait. Can you believe that? Clickbait every now and then. I always vigorously defend ourselves against those allegations because we're not a clickbait show. If you want evidence of that, I want you to listen to what I'm about to say over about the next five minutes because there is no more big chunk of red meat hanging out over the digital media space right now than saying that man, Nick Saban, is talking about his basketball coach. I want you to understand how much traffic it would do if I went down that road. And since everyone else is doing it, I wouldn't get in trouble if I said it. And can you imagine what kind of thumbnail Director Colin could put together? And can you imagine me putting the text on that YouTube thumbnail that says something along the lines of, oh, I don't know, Saban dunks on his own athletic department? The click-through rate would be insane. We would make so much money off of that. The retention would be beautiful. And yet it would be a lie. And so I'm not going to say it. So just remember that in the future. When you want to call us clickbait pay, don't say clickbait pay, please never. I don't want to start that. Um, let me explain to you what just happened. What you just heard is Nick Saban say something that I've probably heard him say a million times. The year was 2008. Nick Saban's one year into his tenure at Alabama. He comes to Columbus, Georgia. I pay $40 to go and listen to him at the Columbus Convention and Trade Center. That night, he made a quote. 
I remembered it up until this very day. He said, right place, right time is largely an illusion. The reality is you put yourself in the right place and the right time finds you. And then he wagged his finger and said, you know, wrong place, wrong time works the same way. You put yourself in the wrong place long enough and the wrong time will eventually find you. Obviously, if you're in a random car wreck or you win the lottery, yes, there are exceptions to those general life rules. But Nick Saban, I have probably heard him say this thing like one or two dozen times in his tenure at Alabama. So he had a kid get popped for multiple transgressions against the law, and he suspended him until further notice, and he said what he always says, and then the internet did what it does in March with nothing better to talk about. Now, I think that you need to pay attention to how the loudest takes on this matter have been made largely by people the furthest away from the program with the least amount of intimate knowledge on the day-to-day workings of Alabama football. Because if you know a little bit about Nick Saban, if you've been around him at all, if you've been around the program at all, you know, number one, that's not how he's about to handle his business on that front. And number two, he has no clue what's going on largely outside of that football program. Now, irresponsibly today, I did something. Instead of just running with an opinion, I actually did some digging around Alabama. And I know that's a dirty thing this day and age, and I apologize for it. I should have just run my mouth without knowing what I was talking about. But some of us still have the audacity to turn over a few rocks before we just baselessly speculate. And what I found is what I expected. And what I found was uh, it had nothing to do whatsoever with basketball. Now, you could say, well, Josh, that's just what they want you to think. Well, if you're trying to sell me, that he was using that public platform to deliver not a spontaneous, but a premeditated shot at his basketball coach, would the University of Alabama not readily back that up? Would we not even have to guess about it? Would it not have been re-emphasized? I've made statements before. I've done it. The last thing that I wanted to do then is backtrack once I made the statement, especially if it's prepared. So there's a lot of baseless sort of logical approaches people have taken to this. But look, at the end of the day, I understand. I understand how this entire media industry works. I get it. Um, should I go down this? I'll go down. The, I'm not going to go down this road for long, but I will tell you this. There's a reality that I think a lot of you understand about the space that I'm in. I certainly understand it. Uh, we don't call ourselves journalists on this show. We don't call this a journalism show. We do not call ourselves reporters. You've never heard me call myself a journalist or a reporter, nor will you. That is not the job I do. You want to call me a commentator? That's fine. You want to call me some dude who looks homeless in the way he dresses? That's okay. But what I am not is I am not someone who wears, wears that press hat. I don't wear the lapel that says journalist because I don't see myself fulfilling that role. The only difference in maybe me and some other folks is they continue to hide behind that, guys. Because the way a lot of folks approach our industry is not from a journalistic angle at all, or at least the way they taught me journalism once upon a time. Um, and I noticed this a lot more when we started to do things with, with CBS and with 24-7, um, not to mention any names specifically, not to mention any outlets specifically. Okay, so we're covered from a PR standpoint there. I noticed that there were a lot of folks who were the least excited about their jobs on Saturdays in the fall. I swear to you, this never occurred to me before I really got here to where I could cover the sport from a national level. I realized there were a lot of folks who, who were the least excited about their jobs on Saturdays in the fall, which makes no sense to you. If you're listening to me in Ann Arbor, Michigan, you think, uh, if you cover college football, 
your world revolves around those 12 Saturdays in the fall, does it not? If you love the sport, it does. Not everyone who covers the sport loves the sport. There is, there's a surefire place for hard-nosed journalism in college athletics. I would argue now more than ever. Absolutely, there's a lane for that. The garbage that you're seeing in a lot of cases, including this thing with Saban and Oates, is not hardcore anything other than hardcore trash. That's pretty much what you've witnessed over the past 12 to 24 hours in that front. But there's a reason why a lot of folks seemed overly eager and excited to find the nearest microphone or nearest internet and Wi-Fi connection because this is what excites them. This is what turns them on to each his and her own. I'm just telling you, the, the way we do things on this show, there's a reason for it. There's a purpose behind it. Because when I was down in Columbus working in local news and I assessed the landscape, I didn't like it. So I'm a fan and I'm going to the places I've always gone to get my sports fix and my college football fix. And more and more, I saw it turning into this. And so um, finally, you got to look in the mirror and say, well, don't complain about it. Do something about it. So we did something about it. And we tried to build a show where we don't do that sort of thing. And it's been, I think we've been very successful here because we don't take that tact. But a lot of folks do. So you got two choices. This ultimately comes down to you. It does not come down to any writer or any blogger or any commentator. It comes down to you. You're the reason that any of us exist. And so if you don't give me traffic, if you don't give him clicks, if you don't give her downloads, eventually we disappear because we're not worth it to our own company. And so if you don't like something in mass that exists in the current marketplace, don't pay attention to it. And I would say, regrettably, the same thing about this show. You don't like it, don't pay attention to it. I'll either have to change my tone or CBS will fire me. That's how that works. That's how it'll always work. So you may see things evolving. You may see things deteriorating. But there is one universal truth, and that is you will determine which voices get amplified because if you're not there, they won't be amplified for very long. So if you don't like the way that things are being handled, that's my best advice. But as far as this Nick Saban thing, he's not talking about Nate Oates. Absolutely was not talking about him. Case closed, the end. Probably not the end, the more I think about it. But case closed as far as us talking about it on this show. All right, uh, let's talk about things that are real. How about that? It's a nice little twist here. First sip from the chalice? I think, yeah, it's time. I just know what the comments are going to look. Jesse, I, I will have a side prop bet for you that we, uh, we have at least 10... We'll go 12 and a half, over under 12 and a half. People who go in the live chat and say, mm, he's just saying that to run interference for Alabama. I, I, again, I want to I reiterate, and Colin, I want you to cut the VOD before I even include this part. I want to reiterate now, the allegation is he purposefully said what he said. Therefore, if he really did do that, there would be no need to defend because there would be nothing to shoot down. It's just... It, how dare you all attack him like Nick Saban, Nick Saban. How dare you all attack him like this? If you know, you know, that's an inside reference. All right, let's move on. Um, I got a, I got a tweet from Rick and I want to read it and respond to it. He said, which head coaches have the most to prove this year, in your opinion, from Fort Collins, Colorado. Uh, Rick, thank you for the question. Regrettably, I have to inform you, Colorado State will not be included in this segment, but I do have four names. And Mel Tucker's one of them, who was out there, albeit at Boulder a few years ago, but he was out there at Colorado. Mel Tucker, 2021, excellent year. Mel Tucker, 2021, Michigan State arrives. And the problem is they made him play 2022. And it was no bueno. 
And I think that Mel Tucker has a lot to prove. Therefore, in 2023, they were five and seven last year. They had no run game. Secondary was very, very bad. They were, uh, by the way, 111th in yards per game, in rush yards per game. That's how bad that rushing attack was. And this is one year removed from having Kenneth Walker, who, at least if you read my journal, was a Heisman finalist. He and Will Anderson were both Heisman finalists. They just had their invitations to New York lost in the mail the year before. Uh, it's, it's a bad enough resume, but if you're looking on the screen, you can see what I'm talking about. If you're listening on podcast, you know how sometimes in college football we have these teams and they have bad years, but a lot of the losses are close? You know, the old one possession. What, what was your record in one possession games? You would think if you had a team that was really good and then they all of a sudden drop down to five and seven, they just had bad bounce of ball luck. We call it Bob luck around here. That is not the case. Michigan State had seven losses and six of them were by double digits. So the fact is they weren't close in a lot of games. And there is another reality that before I can finish the sentence, a lot of our friends from East Lansing love to yell, and there's a reason why they're yelling it, and that is their guy, Mel Tucker, one of the top 10 highest paid coaches in college football. Now, you should be proud that your athletic department had it in themselves collectively to delegate those kind of resources to attracting a head coach. Do you have the right head coach? I don't love to do the pancake approach and, and just flip-flop every year on head coaches, but man, it's was a pretty radical drop-off this past year. And so it's not totally unfair to ask whether that 2021 season was a mirage, a product of just a really, really good haul in the portal, but it wasn't sustainable, kind of a sugar high. I don't think that's unfair. Now, I'm also not, I'm not necessarily in the camp, though. I'm certainly not in the camp that's ready to sell on Mel Tucker. I'm not that at all. I'm just saying, this is a bottom line business, and it's even more. It's like a, a double bold bottom line when you're making the kind of money he is. He gets that, obviously, but stands to reason Mel Tucker's got to lead this list. I think Brent Venables at Oklahoma's got to be on this list. I think that Brent Venables, kind of the same record. In fact, they were what, six and seven? Jesse, were they six and seven or five and seven? They were six and seven. Yeah, they went to a bowl game. So they were six and seven last year at Oklahoma. W what happened? That's the first thing. What happened? They had the worst record since 1998. They were sub 500 at Oklahoma for the first time this millennium. That's what happened. Now, why did it happen? Why did they start 3-0 and and then finish losing seven of their last 10? They had some injury concerns, but they also had attrition concerns. We went over this the other day when we did the Oklahoma Mood Tracker, which is available on the YouTube channel if you want to see it in its entirety. They lost their top two quarterbacks. And remember, this is a pretty unique circumstance. Lincoln Riley leaves, goes to USC. Back in the day, that just meant, okay, go find a new coach. These days, it means go find a new coach and try and fill the 37 holes of guys who followed him. Welcome to the transfer portal era. So they lose their top two quarterbacks. They lose their top running back, four of their top five pass catchers, two offensive linemen starters, a key backup, tight end number one, tight end number two. All these guys were gone. So on paper, you look and Oklahoma's got these highly rated recruiting classes and you just think to yourself, because every preview magazine did, you think to yourself, oh, they'll be fine. I mean, it's after all, it's just the Big 12. They'll be fine. Well, the Big 12 was pretty good last year. Oklahoma was not. And the more alarming stat, as we've talked about also with Oklahoma, is defensively, they allowed 30 plus points in seven games. 
They allowed 40-plus points in three. They allowed 50-plus points in two games. Now, that's collectively. So I did not immediately dive in and find out how much of that was non-offensive in nature. Broad strokes purposes, it was an effort that left a lot to be desired defensively last year. And unlike Michigan State, and this is where you have a little ray of sunshine peek in, unlike Michigan State, Oklahoma was 0-5 in games decided by 7 or less. So they had the bad one-possession luck. You just flip that stat, and obviously it's a much different season, which doesn't matter because the record is what the record was. But moving forward, it means we need degrees of changes. We don't need wholesale changes. And I still feel pretty strongly about the future of Oklahoma football. Now I've got a depressing quote to give you. The second quote from Jesse already in the show tonight. Earlier today, when we were deciding which coaches we wanted to put in this segment, I said, I think Brent Pry should be in there, Virginia Tech. And here's what Jesse, young, exuberant, youthful, in his 20s Jesse said to me. I vaguely remember Virginia Tech being good in my lifetime. Now, if you're 47 years old out there, or like me, if you're 52, which, which Wikipedia says I am because they keep, they keep me confused with the Outer Banks guy, if, if you're in your 40s or 50s, that is heresy. Because you, you can think in your mind it wasn't that long ago that Virginia Tech was a national title contender, right? Well, it's been a little while for the youths out there uh, because it's been since, 20, since 2011, they have one double-digit win season. So we've stacked some years of mediocrity at best in Blacksburg. And Brent Pry is the head coach there, for those unfamiliar, entering his second year. They were 3-8 and eight last year. They only played 11 games. Uh, that was the worst record they've had since 1992. First-time head coach in Brent Pry. First year, I'm not dumping it all on him. There's a reason why he got hired. Program was largely in shambles to begin with. So it's not, it's not all on him in year one. But that doesn't mean there's not pressure on him. There's pressure on the program. He just happens to be the face of it. They were, ugh, they were bad in one-possession games, one and four. But also, they were bad offensively. I started to compile the major offensive statistics and what they ranked, and I realized eventually they were just 100th or worse in all of them. So there's a lot to fix there. And frankly, I don't know that we're there over the span of one year. They, they had 314 offensive yards per game last year. There are many teams out there that had more than that just passing yards per game. So it's an uncomfortable time. And it's also right in the midst of when the ACC has been wide open for someone to come in either alongside Clemson or behind Clemson. It's just been wide open. And it's not just Virginia Tech. Up until five minutes ago, Florida State has not held up their end of the bargain. Miami hasn't. Neither of the Virginia schools have. I think North Carolina could have done a lot better than they've done recently. So it's not just Virginia Tech. Young JP happens to remember Virginia Tech, that VT meaning something nationally, and it hasn't in a while. And I, you know, you give me like 30 Christmas wishes this year. I'm sure on that list somewhere will be, please bring Virginia Tech back, Santa, please. What about Billy Napier at Florida? We did the mood tracker for Florida the other day. I'm not going to reference it. There were some videos that were generated off of our video. There was also a thread on a non-24-7 affiliated Florida message board where someone actually lobbied for me to become the AD down there. Because, in their words, I couldn't do worse than what's been done recently. I appreciate the vote of confidence. I really do. I think Scott Strickland's doing okay. 
So I'm not going to put my name in the hat for the Florida AD position, at least not right now. They were 6-7 and seven last year at Florida. We saw it all the first two weeks, did we not? So they opened against Utah, and they won miraculously. Come from behind win down in the swamp. I thought it set the tone for a great season, at least college football-wise. But as for Florida, no, because one week later, Kentucky comes in there. And I'm not sure why I remember this the way I do. I'll tell you why I remember. I was at Alabama, Texas in week two last year, which was an 11 a.m. Central Time kickoff. So I had gone to the Bama-Texas game, gotten out of there, flown back to Nashville, and I was in a Publix parking garage downtown as that Florida-Kentucky game was ending. And I remember listening on the radio because I'd come straight from the airport. I had to get the essentials. And I'd come straight from the airport, and I remember so vividly the announcers talking about how Anthony Richardson has had such a subpar night, he doesn't even know where the ball's going. So you go from sky high, Richardson's a Heisman contender week one, to is Steve Sachs playing quarterback for Florida in week two? Google it, Jesse. And so it was the best of times and the worst of times, and we weren't even halfway through September. They finished six and seven, back-to-back, sub-500 seasons. First time that's happened at Florida since 78 and 79. Rumors came out in 77 just for reference out there. Uh, Jaden Rashada, that whole deal did not do Billy Napier any perceptional favors, and that is what it is. That's, that's pretty much as it appears on the surface. The whole Napier's in trouble because he's losing coaches thing, not so much. We covered that at length on the show the other day. I thought a lot of that was blown out of proportion. I think a few things have been blown out of proportion, maybe like 20 or 30% more than they should, just because he's vulnerable right now just because it's kind of popular to attack Billy Napier. And that's, it's not necessary. Look, if I'm going to talk critically about him, I'll just talk about tangible things. I'll talk about how they need to be better here, 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 or there. And the reason I said in multiple areas, much as he will tell you himself, is because there are multiple areas they have to improve in. Uh, recruiting's probably one of them. A, a more firm understanding of NIL is probably one of them. They have that in common with a lot of folks right now. It's a pretty Wild West, open landscape, brand new era in those fronts. So they don't have benefit of the doubt, is my point. If Napier had made it somewhere and gone and coached in the NFL and flamed out and he came back, if he were Matt Rule, you know, if he came back to Florida or Nebraska in that case, Matt Rule will get benefit of the doubt. Billy Napier doesn't right now because for some reason, some people look at the success he had at Louisiana and say, well, that doesn't count because that's G5. Now, mind you, those same people, hypocritically, will walk up to me and say, G5 programs should have the same chance to win the same playoff that Power 5 programs should. Meanwhile, I'm over here lobbying. Hey, can we make up our minds? Like, is this all one sport? Do we have 130 whatever teams, or do we have 60 over here and another 60 over there? Apparently, you can just take it however you want it, depending on how you're shaping an argument. I didn't know you could do that. It changes my outlook on life if I know that you can... You can just wiggle your way in and out of arguments that way. So I would look at Mel Tucker, Brent Venables, Brent Pry, and Billy Napier. Not an exhaustive list. I say that only because every time we do some of these lists, someone pops down in the comments and says, what about so-and-so? And they're probably going to be right. That's why we only had room for four tonight, and that's why God invented the comment section. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. There's a very bright shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo. Thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. Uh, speaking, speaking of wonderful creations, could I talk to you about Academy Sports and Outdoors for just a second? Just a second. Strict, technically, I'm supposed to go 45 seconds. I don't think we've ever limited the Academy read to 45 seconds a single day in this show's existence. Uh, probably not going to start tonight. Academy Sports and Outdoors, we like to say your one-stop shop for all of your outdoors sporting goods needs. Now, that's, that's pretty cookie cutter. Humbly, I would say that's pretty cookie cutter. So I take it a step further and I say most of your needs in life can be met at Academy Sports and Outdoors. And then you just, you just fill out the remaining blanks. You just go tie up the loose ends wherever else you need to go. But this needs to be your first stop. You live in a place where they don't have one? No, you don't because you've got internet. Academy.com will take care of it for you. Maybe you need a slide to put on the kid's tree for it. Well, they don't sell that there, do they? You'd be shocked. Keep encouraging you guys. Go in one, take a picture while you're there and post it. I'll probably retweet it, but go in one and you'll be amazed. I I have long maintained that on top of all the sporting goods equipment they have, when I'm in the checkout line and I look to my left and instead of seeing the National Enquirer, I see Big League Chew, that is the kind of partner we want to be in business with. That's why Late Kick is not brought to you by the National Enquirer. It's brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Your one-stop shop for all things outdoor sporting goods plus and academy.com if you can't get there in person. Thank you to them. They make the show free of charge for you. They're watching us in Provo, Utah. They're watching us in Rhonda, North Carolina. They're watching us in Prague, which as far as I know is in the Czech Republic. So wherever you're watching us, if you could just do me a favor, a little thumbs up button, just click it and subscribe while you do it. That would help us greatly. That would help us. I saw in, in um, I want to say it was Minnesota. They instituted free lunch just statewide, no matter income. I would love to do that around here for our crew. Maybe a few more likes and a few more subs and we could do it. So feed Bradley, feed Colin, feed Jesse, like the video. Out of context, late kick. Speaking, speaking of certain members of our family here, I'm just going to do one of those good old garden variety, say it now so I can say I told you so later segments. And I'm going to take a sip from the chalice because I keep eyeing it. And I overfilled it a little bit. So frankly, I need to, I need to lower the, the water level. <sighs> Top of Academy, I'll tell you what. If the partner of the company that turns this water into the color it is right now ever came on board, whew, what a party that would be. But they haven't. And so they remain nameless. Penn State in 2023 is a team I think you need to have your eye on. Just because something has not been doesn't mean it cannot be. 
And the reason I say that is because the iJosh will light up with buddies texting me before we go off the air. I promise you this will happen. And they'll say, you're wasting time talking about Penn State. Some form of everyone knows they can't win. They can't make the playoff. They can't win the Big Ten. They can't get past Ohio State and Michigan. Well, they haven't. Well, they actually have won the Big Ten. So you're, you're talking about winning at the highest, highest level of the sport. That's what you're saying they can't do. This is a wolf at the playoff door. That's what Penn State is. And, and Ohio State and Michigan have done a good enough job pushing their back against the door and keeping them out. They are, what, since 2015, they're 4-12 against those two teams. They're 44-12 against the rest of the Big Ten. So they've handled things okay. They're coming off a Rose Bowl trip. They're coming off a Rose Bowl victory. This team is a threat to make the playoffs this year. This team is a real threat to win the Big Ten this year, and it's not going to be a fizzle job. I really don't think this is a, a firecracker scenario where they better get it done in 2023. They are set up for a sustained run. These are some of my favorite stories in college football, the programs that build this way. In fact, a little bit later, Colin has a very helpful graphic for you. I know because I drew it myself. That's right. That's right. Authentic JP artwork will make its way onto the screen in a little while. So all of that said, what does this lead to? All this acquiring of talent, I'm going to talk about that in a second, but what does it lead to? Because right now, what I have is I got a bunch of people saying the exact same things they used to say about Kirby Smart. You just replace Nick Saban in Alabama with Ohio State or playoff. Like, what well, Kirby can't win the big one. Kirby can't win the playoff. Kirby can't beat Saban. They can't beat Alabama. James Franklin, can't, he, can't, he can't win the Big Ten and get to the playoff. Maybe he'll win it in a down year. Well, they just they can't beat Ohio State. They can't beat Michigan. Uh, well, they, they have in years past, but your point is taken. They haven't regularly which is a very hard thing to do, by the way, what you're demanding them do, but they've got a high standard. So I'm not, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna fault you if you're a Penn State fan and you, you're diehard and you're fully bought in, you pay your season tickets and you invest in the program emotionally and financially, you should want a big return on that. Uh, James Franklin himself wouldn't push back on that. Penn State wouldn't push back on that. However high your standard is for them, this thing I promise you, they got a higher standard for themselves than you do. What has to happen? degrees of difference. That's what has to happen. They don't need the wholesale changes there either. They are right on the doorstep. If you're surprised in December, if they make the playoff, if you're surprised in December, it means I have failed you. It means I haven't done my job. You, no one should be surprised if this team pops this fall, and no one should be surprised if Penn State goes on a multi-year run here where they're in the conversation every year that you haven't had them in in years past. They, they've got Drew Aller. Uh, that's, a, that's a name that Jesse bows his head before he even utters in the office right now. That is the best quarterback prospect they've brought in there under Franklin. But this is not going to be a guy who has to shoulder an ultra-heavy load. they got two excellent running backs up there. It wasn't that long ago we were talking about Penn State being void of a legitimate run game. It is a sigh of relief breathed across the Keystone State. They don't have to talk like that anymore. They've got a ton of proven production on the offensive line coming back. Defense returns 75% of its production. Abdul Carter is a name that they know that the rest of the country will know this year. Linebacker depth is good. Juricic, offensive coordinator, back. Manny Diaz was one of the sneakiest, best pickups last year by James Franklin at defensive coordinator, and he's back. Now, I want you to think about this. If I were advising Manny Diaz, brutally honest here, he gets fired from Miami I didn't like necessarily the way they handled his exit down there. I would have told him, take a year off. In fact, I talked to head coaches about this. 
it probably would shock you to know that head coaches will reach out sometimes because a lot of them think about getting in media. And so they'll do their due diligence. I've talked to two of them recently, and they've asked, hey, what, you, what do you think? Sounding board, what do you think? Should I go the media route? Should I go take a coordinator job? Should I get right back into it and take a lower-level head coaching job? I always tell them, no one's stock lowers by being on TV for a year. Dan Mullen is writing the book on this right now. He's putting on a clinic. Mac Brown put on a clinic. It's like they get 5% better. Think about John Gruden once upon a time. John Gruden got to the point where every job opening, college and NFL, began with the name John Gruden. So I thought Manny Diaz should have gone and sat in a TV studio for a year. He didn't. He got right back in it, and he went to Penn State, and they were a good product last year. I think they'll be a great product defensively this year. Four of their top five sack leaders are back. The reason I'm giving you these bullet points is to, again, emphasize there should be no surprise if this team is good this year. Should be no surprise at all. I have been wearing this plain white t-shirt for years in preparation for this moment where I look like the guy who was ahead of the curve on Penn State. I am also very cheap, but I want that to be forgotten. I want that to be in the background. In the foreground, I don't, when, you, when you think of this white tee, think of whiteout. What's the whiteout game this year, Jesse? I'm looking at the schedule right now. Probably the Michigan game? Yeah. So, look, I, I love Big Noon Kickoff. It's not my network. I don't work for Fox, but I love Big Noon Kickoff. Everyone in the Big Ten hates it, especially everyone at Penn State hates it, and I understand why. Uh, but sometimes, sometimes the fine folks there uh, cost Penn State one of those nighttime spectacles, and you're looking at the schedule right now. It could be Iowa early in the year. could be Michigan later in the year. Probably not going to be Indiana, but we'll see. Don't, doesn't the Big Ten have a weird claws about night games late in the year. I don't know. Anyway, that's, that's on down the road. I don't care if they play in the parking lot at 9 a.m. I'm telling you Penn State's going to be really good this year. Success is not always linear. This is where my artwork comes in. Colin, roll the artwork because I worked long and hard on this. Immunity. If you're listening on podcasts, this means nothing to you. Just please bear with me. Everyone wants success to be linear. Everyone wants, thing, everyone wants you to win five games one year, Seven games the next year, nine games, 11 games, conference title, national title. It's just supposed to work that way. And sometimes things don't take off right out of the gate. Sometimes there's a slow build. The reason I'm familiar with the trajectory of the black line on the chart you're watching right now is because it's the way my career went. And I watched a lot of folks who claim to love the same things I love and they went about it or they went into the same profession I did and they took off and left me in the dust. Or so it seemed. This sounds really braggadocious, but I don't mean it to sound this way. I just mean it matter-of-factly. Sometimes the guy or the team or the company that doesn't always set the world on fire out of the gate is still doing things the right way. It just, for whatever reason, there's a unique confluence of circumstances that mean they don't, event, they don't, they don't just mushroom cloud immediately. Some folks do. That's great. I'll tell you what else happens, though. Sometimes... Folks, progress is linear, and they're just not moving at the trajectory that's going to match you when you finally do blow up. Now, here's what hasn't happened yet. You see that curve, see that really violent curve and that spike there on the black line on the chart on your screen? We may be at the curve point for Penn State. You may be at the point where everything finally comes together, and they've got a dynamite run game to go along with one of the best quarterbacks in their conference to go along with 
defensive depth and quality of frontline player, the likes of which they haven't all put together in the James Franklin era. And here we are a decade, nearly a decade into his tenure there. And sure enough, you mark my words, if Penn State's a playoff team this year, if Penn State's in the playoff picture every year for the next three or four years, people are going to say, wow, Penn State kind of came out of nowhere. They didn't come out of nowhere any more than that apple tree comes out of nowhere. You don't plant the seed and then get the harvest the next day. I know it seems that way with some programs, but not every one of them happens the way Kirby happened at Georgia. Not every one of them can happen the way that Saban turned Alabama around overnight. The, the stories I love are the ones where folks just keep stacking good days on top of each other. They've got a process. They don't radically redefine it. Clemson under Dabo Swinney was this way. Everyone knows Clemson is a program that, that took down Bama a couple of times, won multiple titles. You go research their first four or five years. It was not what Clemson ended up being. And I think we may be singing a similar song. Well, maybe some of you will. I'm already singing a different song. I think maybe people will sing a different song about Penn State over the coming years than they have so far. I just don't want you to be surprised. That's all I'm saying. Now, there's another song that I need to sing you tonight, Figurative in Nature. And it, it emanates from College Station, Texas. And I know I've already taken two sips from the chalice, but buddy, I need a swig for this one. Because, yeah, we're going to have another sound bite for you, too, in a second. Colin, here's your end point. <clears throat> one of the most important questions in college football this year is what's going to happen with Texas A&M's offense? This is what we always call a keystone story because the reverberations, based on the way this turns out, will affect the entire sport. Because if it works out, hiring Bobby Petrino as your offensive coordinator, if it works out, A&M could contend for the West. And you laugh at me right now. No, no, their talent roster is really that good. They just screwed it up nine ways from Sunday last year. They're that good. But if it goes sideways, it could go really sideways. I don't think it's too hard for you to envision Bobby Petrino, who's coached football since before a lot of us were alive, Jimbo Fisher, ditto, and things coming to a boiling point after a subpar performance in week three. And then I'm, I'm over on Texags reading uh, message board rumors and, and Billy Lucci's reporting every other day about how things are just untenable and unworkable in the athletic complex. And it, my point is, it will radically go one way or the other, I think, this year. And if it goes poorly, there will be changes out there. And changes at any major program tend to have a ripple effect throughout the entire sport. Uh, they are 14 points per game worse today than they were in 2018. They are 10 points per game worse today than they were in 2020. So there's been a precipitous drop-off in offensive production. And it's been noticeable. It was so noticeable that Jimbo Fisher, to his credit, went and hired an offensive coordinator in Bobby Petrino. And a lot of us assumed that that means play-calling duties are being handed over to Bobby Petrino. Now, that sounds easy. But if you have watched how hard Jimbo Fisher clings to those 93 laminated pieces of paper in his hand every Saturday, that's no easy thing. Jimbo Fisher identifies as the play caller, as the offensive mind for Texas A&M football. So if you think that's an easy decision, it's not. And I'm not here to make light of it. Maybe I'm a little bit, but I do, I do understand the ramifications of someone who's been in the game that long, having what he may very well define as his identity stripped from him procedurally, even if it is for the betterment of the organization. Which brings me 
to what we heard yesterday. They also opened spring ball in College Station. And I, I want you to know now, if you think I sound negative, because there's been a lot of negativity about a and I'm still on board with the idea that this thing could work under Jimbo Fisher. I have not given up. I have not punted. I think it was a very, very tactful and timely hire in bringing Petrino on board. I think it can work. I think the pieces are there. I think all those things. But what I don't need to hear is this. And what about who, ma- who makes the play calls? That be him or you? Yeah, I mean, we'll go through that as we go. Go back to the back. Plan on right. him making calls. Plan on him calling plays. I have no problem with that at all. Josh, you heard him there. Don't take it out of context. How dare you? He clarified. He said, that's the plan. Well, remember what we've said all along here. I didn't like what I heard yesterday. Because what we've said all along here is, we won't know how this thing works out in spring. And that was my opinion, assuming that Jimbo Fisher was going to step to the podium and hold Petrino's hand up like a boxer that just won a match. He said, our offensive play caller, Robert Petrino, even if he said that, I would tell you, yeah, it sounds good now. Let's see how they handle it come fall. So if I've already got Jimbo Fisher having to backtrack over his words in spring, in, in a move he obviously is not crazy about, and I don't think that's a shock to anyone, I feel uneasy. I feel uneasy because there are many ways we can go in College Station. Where we can't go is, is whence we came from. I'm not sure that's proper, but we're going to go with it anyway. We can't go backwards. We can't do that. There's a reason the hire was made. And so this could be, and I hope it is, much to do about nothing. But I have legitimate concerns about this because, again, what I have maintained, and this is always the case, is when there is an overhaul procedurally, in other words, play calling duties are reassigned in a program, you don't find out in spring whether it's for real. You don't find out in summer. You don't find out in fall camp. You don't, fall out, you don't find out until things go bad in the fall. So, Jesse, could I see, or Colin, could I see their schedule right quick? Because I, I don't know off the top of my head who they play. I want you to picture it's September now, and summer workouts are over and fall camp's over, and we've got A&M on the road. They're at Miami week two. And um, they beat Miami last year underachievement offensively, but they beat Miami last year. Let's say they go down there and they've got nine points on the board at the half. That point is when you'll find out how serious Jimbo Fisher is about totally relinquishing play calling duties. That's the way it was always going to be. That's not unique to him. That's the way it always has been. When someone who is clinged to a role for so long and is the head of the program voluntarily gives it up. You don't know if they really gave it up. They don't know. There have been times before where a head coach himself has been fully convinced, yep, I'm done with that. And then all of a sudden, what happens? What happens is they're four and three going into the bye week, and rumors start to circulate. It turns out he's meddling in the offense again. Turns out he's meddling in the defense again. This happens on Sundays just as well as it happens on Saturdays. And so that was already going to be where we are. Now I add in, eh, we'll see. We'll just work it out as we go. No, we won't. We will not, sir. You're being paid a lot of money out there to make these decisions. And one of the decisions that is, it's not, a, it's not an either or. You know, it's not a, it's not a choose your page. It is, a, it is a must is I hired a guy and he's got to call the plays now. That's got to be the case at Texas A&M this year for them to have a shot. Because here's the other part. 
They play in the SEC West. So you see, even if he does bring Petrino in, and even if he does fully relinquish play-calling duties, even if everything's handled the right way, it's going to be a supreme challenge. It's, it's hard enough to win when you're doing everything the way you're supposed to be doing. That's the highest level of competition. That's why it can go so poorly when you're off pace. That's why it can go so poorly when internally you're a mess because there are too many other programs that have their act together. And in the SEC, enough programs are going to have their act together to where we can't afford to have hesitation here. So here's what I hope. I hope that I am reading too much into this. And I hope that come fall, there's no doubt uh, who's in charge when it comes to deciding what we're going to run on second and four and third and one. And it's Bobby Petrino's animal out there for better or for worse. And it turns out better and Texas A&M's a contender because that's what they should be and those fans deserve that. If it's anything less, though, I don't think we'll remember the first press conference he had in the spring, but maybe we should keep it in mind. All right, since we're talking about moods, let's just continue. I've got a mood tracker to bring you that is part cheerful and part dreadful. Let me give you like three seconds to guess who I'm talking about. Yep, it's Ohio State. The Ohio State mood tracker. What's the fan base thinking right now? If we just slice Ohio State open, figuratively, how are people feeling up there? It's been 1,207 days since they beat Michigan. Do you remember how long, by the way, we had that running clock? How long it's been since Michigan beat Ohio State? And now the shoe's on the other foot. And granted, they play once a year, so it's, it's not too difficult to see these numbers start to stack up. 1,207 days. Got to do something about that. I get it. They get it more than I get it, but I get it too. Incredible pressure on this program this year. The fan base knows it. There are generations of Ohio State fans who don't know this feeling. And by this feeling, I mean anything more than a once-in-a-while isolated loss to Michigan. They don't know consecutive losing. They don't know potentially looking at back-to-back-to-back losses to Michigan. Last time they lost consecutively, 99 and 2000. The Y2K era. We've been talking about that weirdly a lot lately. That's the last time Ohio State fans had to feel this translation. If you're in college, if you're in Ohio State right now, you don't know. And so what's your only recourse? When you see your guys, when you see your program lose twice to the school up north, it's unacceptable. That's the main thing at Ohio State, which is why the mood at Ohio State I have classified as the main thing is the only thing. They've got a really good record against Rutgers. They got a really good record against Indiana. They have done fine against Purdue. Mostly fine. But against Michigan, it hasn't been good enough. Hadn't won the Big Ten Championship the past couple of years. Hadn't beat Michigan the past couple of years. They still made the playoff last year, but they have not won the national championship the past couple of years. Boy, that's an insanely high standard, isn't it? To which they would answer, it sure is. This is an insanely high-level program, too. That's what they would say in response. And they're right. Well, at the very least, they're not wrong. And the mood is the main thing is the only thing because they frankly don't care about anything. If you don't get to that finish line and break the tape at Ohio State, it means you're not doing good enough. And I don't care if you have run up half a hundred on everybody else in that conference because the standard is not to run over Indiana and Rutgers, all due respect. The standard is to own Michigan and to own the Big Ten. They don't own Michigan or the Big Ten right now. 
and there's no reason in their eyes why they shouldn't. So the main thing is the only thing up there until further notice. And that's why it really doesn't matter as we enter this season. It doesn't matter that we're showing you odds that Ohio State's favored to win the conference. They were the past two years. It doesn't matter that in the futures market today, even in Ann Arbor, that'd be favored against Michigan. They were the last two years. doesn't matter. It matters when they actually strap it up and have to play that Thanksgiving week. And it's going to come. Still a ways down the road, but it's going to come. And it's on the road this year. I don't know a more pressure-packed situation that we will have in college football this year than the Ohio State-Michigan game. Because I'm not sure what to expect if Ohio State drops that game. And I'm, I'm the guy who never does hot seat segments. I'm the guy who thinks it's ludicrous to call for someone's job if they go 11-1 and one in the regular season. And for the record, I think it would be ludicrous this year. But as I've always followed up on that statement with, I'm not an Ohio State fan. It's not my program. I don't have ownership of the program. So my opinion doesn't matter as much as someone in Xenia, Ohio, or Akron, Ohio, or Mansfield, Ohio, or Columbus, Ohio. Theirs matter. Theirs matter more. They are maximum investors in their program. And if you have clearly defined the standard of your program and anyone who takes that job accepts it, which Ryan Day certainly does, then if you don't meet it, not once, not twice, but three years in a row, you could see something the likes of which you rarely see in this sport. Now, here's what I don't know. I don't know how this year is going to play out. I don't know if Ohio State will be undefeated when they play that game. I don't know if Michigan will be undefeated when they play that game. I know that that's the way the conference feels to me right now, but then again, we also did a segment about Penn State like five minutes ago where I think they're going to have a lot to say about the outcome of this conference this year as well. But Ohio State sitting there, they're solid at wide receiver this year. They're solid at running back. They did lose some tackles. Kyle McCord, Devin Brown, who's going to be the starter at quarterback? These are first world problems. Everyone knows that. Ohio State fans know that. So you're never going to sell them that, yeah, we lost this year, but it's a down year for us. It's a rebuilding year. Everyone in the Big Ten, from a pure talent roster standpoint, would take that year's down or that program's down years. Everyone would. So that's never going to be an excuse there. So the Ohio State mood amongst the fan base is. Main thing is the only thing. You come in there 11-0, and 0 and you, you, you come home 11-1, and 1, not good enough for us. It's a very high standard. That's why it's the top of the food chain. Not a lot of people can survive in that climate. Like at, at Kentucky basketball right now, they want Cal. Some of them want Cal run out on a rail. And it's like, I know you got high standards. Do you know how few people are qualified and capable of holding that job? given what kind of pressure cooker Kentucky basketball is, Ohio State's the same way. Alabama football is the same way. Texas football is the same way. There are a few of them out there where you just got an added burden of responsibility because you, have, you are the head coach of an NFL franchise. It just happens to be in college. That's how broad in scope the magnitude of Ohio State football or Alabama football is. And you got to beat Michigan. That's the long and short of it. 
Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to the shed? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the side. A new rain is coming to the south side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes now streaming. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with the Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. The subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. All right, I wanted to talk to you about some individuals for a second here. I saw um, today at 24-7 Sports, they released the top 247 for the 2024 class or an updated top 247 for the 2024 class, which got me to thinking, because one of you asked me actually, um, we need to talk about a few impact players. So Colton hit me up and said, checking in from Fort Worth, Texas, in your opinion, who are some top freshmen to watch this season? Now, the way this is worded is not just who are the best true freshmen. He wants to know about ones to keep an eye on this season. I got some for you. I mean, these are guys who I don't think you're going to have to wait two or three years to know about. Cormani McLean leads this list. And that's a guy whose recruitment was a circus. It was all over the place. But that's in the past now. He's just a college football player now. And he's at Colorado. And he was the fourth highest rated recruit they've ever signed in program history there. He will almost certainly start at corner day one for them. Probably opposite Travis Hunter. Their defense at Colorado was the worst in FBS last year. They gave up 44.5 points per game. That was like three points worse per game than whoever was next to last. They are overhauling their entire roster. Jesse pulled me up a depth chart today for Colorado, and all the, all the players that were outlined in gold were true freshmen. And it looked like El Dorado. It was wild. So, yeah, Cormani McLean is going to be on the field. So, one way or the other, that kid will be an impact freshman this year. I'll tell you another one in the secondary who I don't care if he's going to a loaded program will be an impact freshman. Caleb Downs at Alabama, I fully expect to be an impact freshman. Caleb Downs was the number one safety in the country, number eight overall player. I don't ever hear people compare high school recruits to Minka Fitzpatrick at Alabama. That's almost like praise that is too lofty to even be uttered around there. Like a lot of those folks think Mika Fitzpatrick's the best prospect, just pure prospect, regardless of position they ever got at Alabama. They're comparing Caleb Downs to Mika Fitzpatrick is the reason I mentioned that. And I don't disagree. He is a monster. And I think that especially when you look at him being Max Preps High School Player of the Year and, and all that, you've also got a a depth chart situation that's pretty favorable for him to come in there and grab some playing time. I think Christian Story is going to be a big-time player for them this year, out of Lynette, Alabama, by the way. But I think Caleb Downs could be a big-time player for them, too. We saw Malachi Starks getting on the field as a true freshman for Georgia. I think Caleb Downs will be the SEC West version of that this year. Branch is gone. Helms is gone. And frankly, even if they were there, they were going to have to knife fight to hold that kid uh, off the number one rotation in practice. He's just that good, really good. So you avoid injury. I think that five-star there from 
Mill Creek in Georgia, I think he's going to be a big-time player for Alabama this year. Francis Malagoa, that's, that, that's one of those. Five-star offensive tackles Miami signed. He was the number two offensive tackle in the country. He was the number six overall player in the country. I have never been more sure that a true freshman is going to play. Even at offensive tackle, I've never been more sure in my life that a true freshman is going to play. I remember when A.J. Green and Julio Jones came in and everyone knew, yep, those guys are going to play as freshmen. Well, that was at receiver. This is an offensive tackle. But because Miami is so void of quality players at that position and because he's so good at that position, 6'6", 330, he will play. Probably start at right tackle. In fact, early returns from Miami spring practices He's already running with the ones in spring at right tackle. So you've got a former offensive line coach who is the head coach there. Mario played offensive line there. He was an offensive line coach. And what I've noticed is when he has asked, he's been asked about that guy, he smiles. Which can mean different things for different coaches, but when you got a former guy who's coached and played your own position who smiles when he talks about you before you've ever played down for him, it usually means that they're pretty darn sure in what they have in you. And so Francis at very little surprise. I would be shocked if he's not starting for Miami at right tackle this year. Jonte Cook is a name that we've talked about a lot recently when we've referred to that Texas wide receiver room, and it's loaded. And uh, we've got, we've got the, you know, the Latia Carters of the world out there disagreeing with me, but I maintain my stance. It's loaded. Uh, I, I got to quit pronouncing Worthy's name wrong. I go really, really hard on the X. And it's just Xavier. It's not X-Xavier. But I had a kid, Xavier Hall in fourth grade, who wanted the hard X on his name. And I, therefore, have cursed every other Xavier that I've come across since then because of him. Hope Xavier is doing well. But Xavier Worthy, Jordan Whittington, A.D. Mitchell, transfer from Georgia, Isaiah Nair from Wyoming, second year, and Jonte Cook. Everyone's just kind of saying, oh, Jonte Cook, redshirt him. Well, we'll see him next year. Well, you will, but I think you'll see him this year too. Now, what we probably won't have here is we probably will not have the necessity to play him right out of the gate every other down. What you probably will have with the next player I'm going to mention too is you'll probably have a flash player. Not a volume player this year, but a flash player. He is, I think, a guy who can get on the field regardless. I know they're pretty loaded up. And at the very worst, he provides quality depth. And this is also, man, it's the kind of guy Sark thrives with. Saw him do it with kids at Alabama. Uh, Jonte Cook is a kid who would fit in really well with that, that group that Sark had at Alabama. Uh, Zachariah Branch, since we're talking about receivers here, the number one overall receiver in the class, seventh overall rated player in the class, one of the like five or 10 highest rated recruits USC's ever signed. He's 5'10", he's 170. Is he 170 or 190, Jesse? He's 170, he's fast. That's what I want you to know. Even with as loaded as their receiver room is, they may not have a kid faster, may not. I haven't clocked it. And frankly, if you've seen USC's practice field today, no one's running a 40 out there anytime soon. Uh, his brother's a DB at USC already. Out of this cycle, uh, Cook at Texas and then Branch at USC. Those are two guys, because of their skill set, who can come into pretty established receiver rooms and carve out a role for themselves. I don't think he's going to be a freshman All-American because I, well, he may be. I don't see him having that volume of catches and yards. I don't think he's a thousand-yard guy. What I think he'll be is someone who racks up like 450 yards or 500 yards or 600 yards, and there are three or four moments during the season where you go back and say, wow, 
Like, what if we didn't have Jonte Cook on that third down? What if we didn't have Zachariah Branch on that, on that second down? Remember in the second quarter? That was a game changer. That's the kind of player he can be because he won't get a lion's share of the attention. Neither one of them will when they're on the field because they're true freshmen. And they are surrounded by a really good supporting cast. So loaded receiver rooms, both places, but they could still shine. How about that? How about on this Tuesday night when we don't even normally do shows this time of year? Just a solid hour of, imagine, people like us left alone to our own devices to talk about college football together. I think it could work. I think the format could work all year. Remember, if you're watching live, which we appreciate, I mean, we've, it's an atypical night and we still have 1,200 watching live right now. Thumbs up. Click the thumbs up button. About a, quarter, about a third of you have right now. And I would just like it to be higher. Selfishly, I would like it to be higher. Until next time, for producer Jesse and for director Colin, we are not live Thursday night, but I will have you a Late Kick Extra podcast in the feed by Thursday afternoon. Next live show is Sunday night. There you go. Until then, for all of us here, I'm Josh Pate. Take care. Have a great rest of your night, and God bless. Yes, Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I feel it in my I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor, Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.